As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Don't let a banker and don't let a broker tell you how much this is worth. You need to figure it out on your own. And if you're not qualified yet, then make sure you are partnering with somebody who is. Best ever listeners, where are you going to be on February 22nd and 23rd? I am visualizing that you're going to be in Denver, Colorado, because that's where the best ever conference is. And that's when it is February 22nd, 23rd. Go to besteverconference.com and even put in take five. So you get 5% off your ticket. So that is T-A-K-E and the number five whenever you purchase your ticket. And buy now because ticket prices go up weekly. So go to besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference, the agenda, the speakers. We've got an incredible speaker list focused on commercial real estate. So that includes five plus units if you're in multifamily. And you're going to get a lot of value from this conference. Go to besteverconference.com. It's the third time we've done it. It improves every year and we have raving reviews. I'm not just saying it. Ask people who have attended every year. Besteverconference.com. Enter take five, T-A-K-E five when you purchase your ticket and get an extra 5% off. Ticket price is going up weekly, so get it today. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. Today, I'm your host, Theo Hicks, and I am speaking with Paul Moore today. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Theo. Thanks for having me on the show again. No problem. Looking forward to our conversation and learning more about what you've been doing since we last had you on, which if you want to listen to Paul's first interview, it was two years ago this month as of the recording. So it might be a little bit over two years when you're actually listening to this, but that is episode 809 entitled Creating a $10 million Fund, Building a Hotel, and Focusing on Multifamily. So today is Sunday, which means it is Skill Set Sunday. So we're going to be discussing a certain skill that Paul has, and we're going to be focusing on value-add self-storage. But first, a little bit of background on Paul. He is the founder and managing director of Wellings Capital. He was the two-time finalist for Michigan Entrepreneur of the Year. He's based in Lynchburg, Virginia, and you can say hi to him at wellingscapital.com. So before we go into the specific skill in regards to self-storage value-add, 
Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to since we last had you on the show? Absolutely. We have had a hard time. We are apparently not as good at acquisitions as Joe and his team. And admiringly watching Joe over the last two or three years and seeing his growth and his spectacular amount of deals he's done and the investors. And I really admire him. We have not been able to pull that off. We have felt that the deals we have seen, mostly publicly marketed and multifamily, have been overpriced. The market is generally overheated. So it was hard for a guy who wrote a multifamily book called The Perfect Investment, which is still selling on Amazon and our website. It's hard to say, hey, guys, we're going to expand into self-storage. But that's what we're doing. And we're doing that for a number of reasons. One is the fragmented market. Now, in multifamily, there are only 7% of the 50-plus unit apartments in the U.S. are owned by small operators. Mom and pops or small operators are almost all owned by more sophisticated, larger companies, 7%. But in the self-storage world, between 65 and 75% are owned by mom and pop or independent operators. There's 53,000 self-storage facilities in the U.S. That's the same as McDonald's, Subways, and Starbucks combined. I checked it myself. And about 40,000 of those are owned by independent operators and mom and pops, and they're not maximizing revenue. They don't need to. A lot of them bought or built these facilities a decade or two ago, and they're clipping coupons. They're happy to be 70, 80% occupied. Or at the other extreme, they haven't raised rates in years, and they're maybe 100% occupied, and they're happy. But there is a huge difference between a mediocre self-storage unit facility and a well-run one, and that's where the opportunity is. So this fragmented market is one of the reasons we jumped into this. That's what we've been up to the last year or two. Okay, and have you done any self-storage deals yet? So what we decided is that self-storage is somewhat overheated as well. And we thought, you know, do we really want to jump into this and take tens of millions of investor money before we have had experience in this? So we decided the best way to do this would be for us to partner with operators who are already really good at this, who have gone through several market cycles. So we spent the last eight months actually interviewing and vetting sponsors. We've flown all over the country. I was in LA last week, Florida this week. I was in Atlanta several times before this, interviewing these self-storage syndicators, and we are actually co-investing with them. We co-invested almost $3 million with one this summer, and we're getting ready to do two more deals starting in the next month or so. By the time this is live, we'll probably have a couple other opportunities available for investors. Great. Can you talk about the numbers on that self-storage deals? Because people know how fix and flips work and smaller rentals and even larger apartments. But how does the process of analyzing the deal, what types of return metrics do you look at, things like that for that specific deal you've invested in? Absolutely. So what we're looking for in a deal is we're looking for a property that's on a major road with a lot of traffic. It's visible on that road. It's not behind another building or down in a valley. And we're looking to draw a radius around the facility. And we're looking at the population density versus the number of square feet in that radius. And we like a three mile and a five mile radius. So we'll draw that circle. 
and then we will see where we're at with that. Our goal is to be under about seven square feet of storage per person in that three or five mile circle. And if we're under that, we're likely under the national average, which means we're likely in an undersupplied market. Now I say likely because it's not completely scientific. Places like Florida, Texas, and California, they use more storage. They have virtually no basements and they don't use their attics often for storage because especially in places like Florida, it's real hot and it can ruin your stuff. So there's a higher demand for stuff around Florida, especially around the coast where there's more income and more recreational toys. So we're looking to be under seven square feet per person. As far as the metrics could be a development deal, so that would be different. But if it's a regular value add cash flowing deal, we'd be looking for five to 9% return to the investors annually, and then look for an appreciation and principal pay down, which brings the total return to about 18 to 22% annually. That's what we'd be generally looking at. It's very similar to where multifamily has been, especially in recent years past. Thank you for kind of going over those specifics. But let's talk about value add, because you mentioned it a little bit before we have we went live that you were surprised that there was such a thing as value add self-storage. So do you want to kind of talk about your discovery of this asset class as well as some of the main things that are a value add on self-storage? Well, one of the benefits of self-storage is you don't have to deal with things like toilets, tenants, and trash. But when I looked at self-storage, and I actually looked at it 19 years ago originally in 99, when I looked at it, I thought, wait a minute, it's just concrete, steel, and rivets. That's all it is. What are the value-add opportunities? I didn't know what that was in 99, but in recent years I did. Apartments have carpeting or hardwood flooring and lighting and paint bathrooms and kitchens to upgrade, appliances, all these beautiful things. Self-storage is steel boxes. So where's the value add? I was surprised to find that there really is a significant set of value add opportunities that an experienced, really good operator can take advantage of. So for example, in some of these, by the way, they're policy and procedure changes that add tremendous income and value. For example, you can add U-Haul. U-Haul does all these kind of independent distributor agreements with facilities and they will often, or Penske will sign a deal with a self-storage facility. And I was at one in Florida this week on Tuesday and they were making $5,000 a month in revenue from U-Haul. It took a little bit of extra work, but it wasn't enough work to hire an additional person. So it didn't cost much and they were getting $5,000 in commission income. We'll multiply that by 12, that's 60,000 a year, divide it by the cap rate, and let's say that cap rate is 6.5%. That adds almost a million dollars in value to that facility. Now, if it's a $5 million facility and you just added a million dollars, that sounds like a 20% appreciation, and that's true at the asset level. But you know what, Theo? That's not true at the investor level. At the investor level, because of leverage, that 20% appreciation looks more like 60% appreciation in a typical leveraged deal. That's a pretty amazing thing from just changing a policy and procedure and adding U-Haul. But there's a lot of other stuff you can do. You can add a nicer showroom. 
more point-of-sale items like boxes, scissors, locks, and tape. You can sell insurance. You can have administration fees and late fees. Typically, mom and pops don't like to do that. You can also do a lot better job marketing. You know, 50%, as of a year ago, 50% of people who found a self-storage facility reported that they found it by driving by. They might have seen it on their iPhone or on Google Maps first, but they drove in and that's how they found it. Well, that's a huge opportunity because using the online world, getting digital, having a website, doing Facebook marketing, Google AdWords, other online outreach is an opportunity to get in front of some of those mom and pop operators locally who are doing a terrible job marketing. We looked at a self-storage facility in Raleigh, Raleigh of all places, very hip and trendy city that didn't have a website. And the lady said, why would I need a website? I'm 100% full. Well, that says a lot right there. But anyway, other things you can do is you can raise rates. Now, that's obvious, but it's not necessarily as obvious as you may think. If you have a $1,000 a month apartment and you raise the rate 6%, somebody's thinking, I'm going to be here for years. That's an extra $60, $720 a year. I don't want to stay. And they might move for that $60. But if you have a $100 storage facility, they're probably not going to take a Saturday, pack up a rental truck, go and hire a few friends to move all their stuff down the road because you raised their rent by $6. So the tenants are inherently sticky. Another factor with that is most tenants in self-storage think, I'm only going to be here two or three more months. You can survey them and they'll say that. I'm just waiting till I can sell this stuff on eBay or I'm waiting till I move to that other house or I'm going to put it back in my basement. But often, because it's hitting their credit card, they don't care as much and it's honestly there for years. One investor we talked to in self-storage says, I decide to invest when I was thinking about investing I realized I had a self-storage unit for seven years I hadn't even thought of. It's just been hitting my bank account or credit card, and I hadn't given it a thought. And that's when he decided to invest. So there are lots of other things that can be done as well, but those are some of the main value-add drivers. Okay. And then how do you actually find these self-storage deals? Are they on LoopNet? Is there MLS for these things? Or do you have to be more proactive with your lead generation? Yeah, it's probably somewhat similar to apartments. There's letter writing campaigns. There's driving by and stopping in. That sometimes works. It's a lot of work though. But there are actually brokers just for self-storage facilities. And like in the apartment world right now, those brokers don't want egg on their face. They're going to be going to their friends. They're going to be working with people they already know will close, people that won't embarrass them. So this is kind of the rich get rich and the poor get poor. Kind of like Joe's done with apartments. He's got an inside track on lots of off-market deals. Well, the people who are experienced in self-storage have a great inside track and a great benefit over beginners in this space because the brokers are going to call them first. I just hung up the phone before this podcast with a guy named AJ Osborne. And AJ Osborne was on the Bigger Pockets podcast. It came out July 4th. 2018. And he talked about how he had seven and a half million dollars invested in a Kmart and he had converted it to self-storage. And he was on the verge of getting an offer possibly within a day or two for 25 million for that Kmart that he had retrofitted while he was in a coma, 
by the way. And that's only 40% leased up. So guys like AJ are going to get deals that most of the rest of us will never see. And that's one of the reasons we're partnering with people and we're raising up a fund to invest in other operators like that that have great experience. You've kind of touched on this already, but I want to ask it anyway so we can get a more detailed, specific answer. But what advice would you give to someone who is listening to this podcast and like, oh, self-storage seems interesting to me. I want to learn more, and that might be a future potential investment vehicle. What would your advice be to them in order to get started? Well, there's actually seven ways to get started in multifamily or self-storage. And I go over this in a lot of detail in other venues. Quickly, they're being a deal finder being a money finder, just jumping in at a really high level, working your way up from really small to larger, going and getting a job for another operator and learning the business, or finding a mentor. I think that's all seven. So I would recommend that you pick one of those and go for it. Become a deal finder, for example, and take those deals to another company and say, hey, look, I found this deal. And I love to partner with you and learn the ropes along the way. Or another thing you can do is you can find a mentor. There's a guy named Scott Myers in Indianapolis, and he's got a great mentoring program. And he teaches people to do self-storage. Apparently, they've had about 75 or 80 people go through their master's level program. And a lot of those people have become millionaires in a very short time. So Those are two of the things I would do. Oh, yeah, the seventh way to invest, I thought I missed one, is to invest passively. And that is to learn the ropes by investing, let's say, fifty dollars or $100,000 with another syndicator who's doing the business and ask them if you can learn from them along the way. Or maybe you just want to stay passive and keep investing, and that's a great way to do it too. What is the biggest difference you found between multifamily investing and self-storage investing? Wow, that's a hard question. I'm trying to think of a major difference. There's not a lot. They have a similar sharp ratio, which is the return versus the risk ratio. And I talk about that a lot in my book. They have fairly similar value add opportunities. Some of them, they start at 5 to 10% cash on cash return. And then they have a total of, let's say, 20% return. Where multifamily lately seems to be a little bit lower because it's overheated somewhat, as we have all seen. I'd say one difference is there are more ground up development opportunities in self-storage, which can be great, but it can also be a curse. So if you get in on a ground up opportunity in self-storage, and you can do that in apartments too, you might not get your first distribution check for a couple of years, but then there's a really strong windfall on it. And of course, that's possible in multifamily, but it's not the kind of multifamily that I think Joe or I do which is more of a momentum play or a value-add, stabilized, class B multifamily. But like I said, some of the self-storage deals we've been looking at and starting to invest in are like that Kmart that AJ has where there's no distribution at all for, say, one and a half to three years, but then there's very large payoff after that. But there's more risk with that as well. Is there anything that we haven't talked about as it relates to entering the value-add self-storage investment industry? Yeah, just like multifamily, I think it's really important not just to jump in. It's a rough time in late 2018. Interest rates are higher. Cap rates are staying low, which means the values are staying very high. And it's a time for a newbie to get burned. So I would say be really careful 
If you're going to invest passively, invest with a pro, somebody who's been through several market cycles, which is, again, what we're doing. And if you're going to do it on your own, be very, very sure that you have really evaluated it carefully and that you are in a situation where you're not going to get burned by paying too much. Don't let a banker and don't let a broker tell you how much this is worth. You need to figure it out on your own. And if you're not qualified yet, then make sure you are partnering with somebody who is. Great advice. So Paul, really appreciate you joining us today on this Skill Set Sunday. Just to summarize what we discussed, you explained the reason why you expanded into the self-storage industry, at least one of the reasons why had to do with the fragmented market and that a very, very small percentage of multifamilies, over 50 units are owned by small operators, whereas a larger percentage, I think you said 65 to 70% of self-storage are owned by small operators. Right. So it opens up the opportunity for more of those value-add deals. And you mentioned that you got started with a partner who is very experienced rather than jumping in on your own. In regards to what you look for in deals, it needs to be visible on a major road. And then you draw a three and five mile radius around the self-storage facility. And you want to see a population density of under seven square feet per storage per person. Well, there are tools online that do that, that have it already draw those radius for you. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned the returns for the value add plus appreciation plus principal pay down. Then you mentioned that a really good market for self-storage is Florida, which I can agree with because I live in Florida now and I don't have a basement. And so we kind of just shove things into closets. <laughs> and once we have kids, I'm sure that's going to get more and more difficult. Absolutely. And the deal we just invested in, by the way, in the summer is just south of you by a few miles. And it's in the Lakewood Ranch area. You also explained some of the value add opportunities. So I'll just run through those. You said add U-Haul. Nicer showroom, more points of sale, like scissors and tape and boxes, sell insurance, better marketing, and you can raise the rates. How you find these deals, pretty similar to multifamily, direct mailing campaigns, driving for dollars, and brokers who work specifically with self-storage facilities. But like multifamily, they're likely going to go to their friends first. So you have to build rapport with this broker. We've got plenty of episodes and blog posts about how to do that. Then lastly, you went over the seven ways to get started as a self-storage investor, which was to be the deal finder, the money finder, jump in at a high level, education-wise, start small and then work your way up, work for another operator, find a mentor, or invest passively. The biggest difference between self-storage and multifamily is that ground-up development. There's more of that in self-storage. But besides that, the two asset classes are fairly similar. And then lastly, your uh, advice for others who want to get started is to, number one, don't just jump right in because we're at a point in the market where a newbie could definitely get burned. So if you want to become a self-storage investor, make sure you're working with a pro and do not rely on the bank or the broker for the valuation of the self-storage facility. Make sure you figure that out yourself. So Paul, I really appreciate you talking with us today. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Theo, thanks. It's been a real honor to be on the show again. Hope you have a great day. Best ever listeners, best ever conference. That's where you want to be. February 22nd and 23rd in Denver, Colorado. Put in the code TAKE5, T-A-K-E, and the number five to get an extra 5% off. Ticket prices go up weekly, so buy it today. Besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference at the website, 
all about the speakers. You can read about them and what you will experience when you're there. BestEverConference.com. Best Ever listeners, we have launched BestEverCauses.com. That's BestEverCauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to BestEverCauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to BestEverCauses.com, and there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out.